Welcome to A Year with Jesus, where we're spending time learning how to think, live, and love like Jesus. I'm Bill. I'm Philip. And we're continuing with our study of the Gospel of Mark. Today we'll be in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, we we were forgot to mention it last week, but I think it'd be good to mention it this week, that this is a new gospel that we're starting. And so if you maybe didn't have time to finish the Gospel of Matthew, that would be a great opportunity uh, to jump in and... Uh, we actually have a special guest with us again today. Yeah, we have Russ Legrone, one of the elders of the Embry Hills Church of Christ. And Russ, we're glad you're here. Yeah, it's great to be here with you guys again. So Russ, last week, actually, I'll start with something you mentioned last week. You mentioned uh, that that Jesus was teaching on the shore and, and that he was getting so popular that he was teaching on the shore. Chapter 4 actually begins with a similar idea or situation there. Yeah, he's so popular, he can't even stand on the shore among them. And so this is this nice, we think about podiums and places where preachers can go to. Well, here he's teaching from a boat. He can stand on the boat off the shore and be able to speak loudly enough for those who've crowded around the shore to, to listen to him. And so you just imagine he's got all these people, he's got this great shore, and now he's going to start to teach the most, I mean, just comprehensible, easy to understand lesson. Right, and he doesn't. He, he doesn't lay things out in very direct statements. Instead, he introduces the parables. And the parables here are going to be a hallmark of Jesus' teaching style that are going to really carry through for quite a while mm-hmm. as it allows him to communicate a ton of spiritual information in really, um, we like to say, easy-to-understand stories, but they weren't just easy to understand, were they? No, it, it seems like it wasn't because— the disciples don't understand it, and they have to come back and, and ask for further explanation. They know there's something deeper behind this story, and it's that deeper meaning that they're looking for that they're just not grasping. So maybe that's the point of the parables. You'll say, listen, consider multiple times, and that the purpose of the parables wasn't just so that you would hear it, but that you would really come back and ask. I mean, in chapter in, in verse 10, when he was alone, they come and they ask him, and then in verse 34, the text says after you know saying multiple parables privately, he explained everything to his own disciples. And so there's this very clear, am I digging deeper to really understand the Word of God? Great. So let's dig into these parables. Let's be the kind of listeners that want to make an application for them. So the first parable we have is the parable of the sower. And while there is obviously an evangelistic way to use this to think about sharing the gospel with others, that's not the first point, is it? I don't think so. I think especially as you look at the end of chapter 3 where he says, everyone who does the will of God is my mother and brother and sister. I think in chapter 4, the first parable is, okay, what are the impediments that are getting in the way of you doing the will of God? And and, and it's supposed to be, I believe, self-reflective. We're supposed to be self-aware about what we have going on in our, in our lives that, that get in the way of us serving God. Yeah, I can think of myself as being one of these souls that he talks about, and and I'm just sort of condemned, so to speak, to be this shallow soul, and I'm not able to, to, to change. I don't think that's his meaning at all. I think this is a challenge for us to become that soul that's productive and rich and, and fruitful. And it really means getting those thorns out of our lives, getting those rocks out of our lives, getting those um, temptations from Satan out of our lives, and making sure that we produce this 30, this 60, this 100-fold. And it comes back to just having a willingness, Mm -hmm. a humility to hear, a humility to go, I didn't understand that, Jesus. Help me understand that better. And again, and I, and I think that's his point, even when he's talking about the lamp, is he didn't come to hide things. He didn't come so that people would not understand his words. We know that he's going around preaching, and his, and his men who have you know had opportunities to talk to people, what you most want when you're talking is to be understood, is to have people get what you're saying. And I think that he specifically said, you know, nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. I think he's talking about his own message, that he wants his words, he wants his message 
to be revealed, but for it to be revealed, you have to pay attention and you have to want to understand. And that really speaks to the power of this good news that he's preaching. This tiny little parable in chapter four, verse 26 to 29 is one that we don't always put the spotlight on, but the emphasis there is that just like a good seed can be put into soil, And when it gets the sunlight and the water and the nutrients that it needs, it's going to grow. And Jesus even says, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain. Like you just see that process of growth that takes place over time and God gets the credit. God gets the glory. And that's something that we're supposed to see in our lives as well, that as we immerse ourselves in this word, as we take it into our heart and into our thinking and even into our prayers, there is just growth that comes with time. Yeah, I, mean, I can remember the first time I ever was in a Bible study, and it, it, ironically, it was in the Gospel of Mark, although it was chapters 8 and 9. I was absolutely baffled. I was, I, mean, I was confused. I had no idea. You know, he's talking one of the miracles. I'm hitting a blind man. What is? I was just confused. And it would make so much more sense to me now. And it's not that my ability to comprehend has changed, but that I've spent time and, you know, sowing that word and people have watered and people have helped me till my heart. And I think it with time, you end up growing. And it Kind of like the seed does. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that even fits the next parable well, the idea of the mustard seed being so small and then producing something that's much grander, bigger than you would have ever expected from such a small seed. And that's that's the effect of God's Word in our life. It can accomplish far more than we really expected it's going to. And, and we don't see it happen. It's kind of like, you know, like you think about this just in, in a lot of different ways. A kid's growing. Matthias is going to be three tomorrow. It's just so, I mean, you know, so, so weird to think about this picture that like he, to me, he's just the kid. But people, if you haven't seen him in six months, you're like, your kid's massive. Right. Lots but, of growth. But, but that's what happens. I think even with us spiritually, as we spend time in the word, maybe we don't always see the growth. Maybe we don't always see the ways in which we understand the word better, or the ways in which the word has changed us. But I think sometimes the people around us, they do see it. And God definitely does. That's wonderful. So even though he's speaking to them a little more indirectly using these parables, the crowds are continuing to grow. And that requires him to again, changes location. So they get in a boat and they're getting ready to cross the Sea of Galilee, but there's a problem they run into. Yeah. I mean, some of these fishermen, these guys who would have been used to boats, a windstorm arises and and it's, it. I mean, the text is, it's breaking the boat. Like the boat is already being swamped. They think that they are going to perish. And so they go and they wake Jesus up who's sleeping very soundly. And they say, don't you care that we're dying here? It's such an interesting picture, though, of Jesus, isn't it? That, that first of all, you see the humanity of them. It, it, it talks about on that day. It's been a long day. I mean, mm-hmm. all the parables and everything. He's tired, and he falls asleep. Even in the midst of a storm, he physically is so tired that he's able to sleep. And so then they do wake him up, and he quickly says, Hush, be still. And he brings a peace, not only to the storm and to the sea, but he brings a peace to them, right? Yeah, in, in a way, because in verse 41, they're still kind of ter- they're right. still terrified. They're, like, they're, they're glad the situation's done, but now they're like, hang on a second. Who we're, is we're in a boat with a guy who can stop a storm. That's, that's a little bit different. Yeah, the change from the storm to the peace is so startling that that created a whole new kind of fear, a whole yeah. new kind of, kind of discomfort or tension for them. I, I, I'm sorry, I was going to say, this is yet another one of those breadcrumbs that, that Mark's putting out there as to the identity of, of, of Jesus. I mean, and they're, and they're questioning who is this that can, that can do this. But again, in the, in the Old Testament, only God had mm-hmm. this power. There, there, there's, there are psalms that speak of his power to still a tempest like this. 
And now Jesus is doing that. And and again, so he gets, and even before he, he I think, rebukes them in, in a way, maybe in a, right. in a very gentle way, I do appreciate that he calms the storm first. It's not mid, mid-storm that he's like, why are you guys so afraid? He calms the storm. I think to almost let them know, hey, guys, I'm here. And then, so I think so that they can be able to maybe better understand the point that he has the ability to calm the storms. But again, so who is this? And in chapter five, you see more than just the winds and the waves obey him. There's three different stories where you have kind of these situations where like, who would, you know, how could these situations be resolved? And you see Jesus solving them. And the first one, there's this guy that shows up and what's what's interesting or descriptive of the man? You see a man that is possessed with demons. And you see a man that is just struggling greatly. He does not have any um, mental or emotional peace. He doesn't have any physical peace, even to the point that he has been kind of set aside and ostracized. Mm-hmm. He's having to live oh, out in the tombs. Yeah, he's terrifying. Yeah. Everyone around him. I mean, he's without clothes. He's running around. He has this great strength. Uh, I imagine young children who, who would hear about this man among the tombs and would be terrified and thinking about running into him in some way. And there's a spiritual reason behind it, right? He is possessed, we see in verse 9, my name is Legion, for we are many. But for Jesus, that's no problem. Mm-hmm. Whether it's one demon or many demons, we get another tremendous demonstration of his divine power as he casts them out into this herd of swine, and about 2,000 of them run off this cliff mm-hmm. into the sea. It had to be a startling thing to witness. Yeah, again, I think you see his authority you're also seeing his compassion. I think Jesus humanizes this man that people would have demonized. He comes up to him and he asks, what's your name? And obviously the demon is at, is, at, is at behind the wheel. But I think there's a sense where Jesus sees the person, where we oftentimes see the problems or we see the demons or we see the struggles. And then Jesus cares more about the person than he does the swine. We'll see the people, they're more concerned about what they just lost. Jesus, he cares about the person. I think it's 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 important for us to appreciate regardless of the situation, whether the demon-possessed man who's having, like you mentioned, physical and mental struggles, whether it's the woman with the flow of blood who's helpless, or whether it's someone who literally dies at the end of the story, at the end of the chapter, Jesus cares, regardless of whatever storm you are in, he cares. And I think it's interesting the contrast to those who saw this, that they don't have that level of compassion and concern. Verse 15 is interesting that those who come and now see this man clothed and in his right mind, as it describes it, their reaction is fear. Mm -hmm. It, it, It is such a profound change. How can that have happened unless there is a power among us that that they didn't quite know how to, to deal with. Similar to chapter four, where the storm became calm, there was this, they were terrified. Here, they're terrified. And they beg him to leave. And I, just one other thing about this, man. I, I, I've come to value more just the idea of being in your right mind. That mm-hmm. with, uh, so many struggle with issues of mental illness, and, and that is a, a, a difficult uh, thing to have to deal with in, in life. And we should treasure and be grateful for those moments in which we have calm and peace and a clear mind, and we're able to see things as they really are. And when this man gets this, this is a wonderful blessing that Jesus has been able to restore him to his clear mind. That's great. And he desires to spend more time with Jesus, right? Everyone that really sees the compassion and the authority and the power of Jesus wants to be closer to him. But Jesus has a different plan for him. Use that clear mind. Use that clear thinking to go do what? Do something simple. He says, just go tell what has happened to you. I 
I've always thought that if I were this man, I'd still be clinging to Jesus' knee. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let him leave. But he's got a plan for this man, and it's it's not difficult to do if we just tell people uh, what what Christ means to us in our life, what he's accomplished for us. We're doing exactly what this man was asked to do. Especially where here, they don't want Jesus around, but this man can stay around. And we'll see in Mark chapter 7 later on that he'll come back to this region and people are bringing people to Jesus. The same place where they didn't want him around, now they want him around. Good point. We didn't say this at the beginning of this chapter. This is actually an area that Jesus has not been to, Mm -hmm. to the extent that he had before. It's kind of new territory. And this man's going to have a profound effect. Yeah. So he crosses over by boat to the other side. And again, a large crowd, they gather to him while he was by the sea. And someone, now, now a man named Jairus comes up and he's got a problem. His daughter's sick. She's at the point of death. He's trying to get Jesus' help. Jesus agrees to go with him. The large crowd, they're following, they're pressing against him. And then, Philip, there's something that I know you really appreciate here in the text. What happens as they're on their way to Jairus' house? Right. Jesus wants to go and take care of Jairus' daughter, but he gets interrupted. And I just think this is something that all of us can relate to, whether it's that text message you didn't expect, whether it's being summoned to your boss, to his office, or just a need that arises at home. We all juggle and deal with interruptions. And it's nice to see that humanity of Christ again here, that He is God, but at this point, he's only going to be one place at a time, and he's helping Jairus. But this woman of great faith comes up, knowing that she has suffered much at the hand of many physicians, but she reaches out just to touch the hem of his garment, knowing that if she does, she will be healed. And Jesus stops in the middle of his travels, stops in the middle of this effort to go care for this little child. And says, who touched my garments? And his apostles are confused by this. They are. And what I am struck by here is she already is healed when he says that. So the, the most immediate need in her life has been addressed. But she needed something else. She needed some time from Jesus. And he provides that to her. In a way that's confusing to everybody. You know, why, why would you stop? We got to get over to this man's house. What do you mean somebody touched you? But he always knows what an individual needs, and he provides it. That's fantastic. And as the story unfolds, then they get interrupted again, right? Verse 35, a servant for the synagogue official comes and says, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. Now, the apostles were afraid in the boat. And this demonic man was afraid here in the caves. And now Jairus would have good reason to be afraid hearing the death of his daughter. But Jesus says, no, do not be afraid, only believe. He's going to respond yet to another interruption by providing what is really, really needed. Isn't that such a comforting uh, moment there when Jesus stops and says, look, just just believe, just and and you got to think the man still his mind is whirling through the news and but but to hear from the master this this word just you know mm-hmm. it it's going to be okay is basically what he said which again i i think the story with the woman with the flow of blood who would have been continually dying you know life is in the blood in leviticus and he heals her would have given i, I think was supposed to give Jarius hope to believe in Jesus i i wonder personally maybe i speculate the girl was going to die on the road either way. And Jesus almost intentionally take, he lets the interruption happen to give Jairus faith, to show him, hey, I can do these things, which which maybe in our lives, we need to find opportunities or, or find ways in which God has given us reason 
to have faith in little so that we can have faith in the bigger, greater promises that he has in us, that he's given us. When Jesus does get to Jairus's house, not everyone has that kind of faith, mm-hmm. right? As he speaks about her only being asleep, they laugh at him. They seem to mock him. It's like, we know when someone has died. What are yeah. you saying that she's only asleep? And yet Jesus, with his own closest companions, the mother and father of the child, comes privately to her side and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And this 12-year-old girl is raised from the dead. And then again, he gives strict orders that no one should know about this, kind of like he does with the leper. Like he, you know, there's there, you kind of see that over and over again. Yeah, he, he, he's managing how popular he is, and mm-hmm. I, you can imagine how this would kind of spread if he were not doing that. One, one other thought here on this 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 chapter is an interesting contrast uh, to the two chapters before, where he had massive crowds pressing in on him, and and the message in all is more about Jesus teaching to a multitude. Mm-hmm. But here we have three consecutive stories. It's a one-on-one with him and and those individuals. And I I think that's just so important for us to grasp. Yes, God deals with us as mankind, uh, taking care of us and our sin. But in the end, we each have an individual relationship with God. Amen. I love that. And again, I think you even see the response sometimes of the crowd in spite of that. In, in, In the capitalists, they're afraid and they want him gone you know, with the woman with the flow of blood and he stops everything and they're confused. And like, what do you mean who's touched you? Everybody's pressing on you. And then here there's mockery and there's laughter. And I wonder if oftentimes that's how maybe other people respond to Jesus. And and we have to just make sure that we're being firm in our faith and our belief of him and in his power. Yes, it's a reminder that this Jesus that we worship, this Jesus that we put our hope in is is proven to us time and time again how reliably he, how reliable he actually is. Mm-hmm. We want to be in the boat with Jesus during the storms of life. We want to be able to interrupt Jesus and say, "Hey, I need you. I need you in this moment. I need you in this hour. I need you in my family." We have every reason to worship Jesus Christ, who Mark is showing us, is the Son of God. So as we think about chapter 4 and chapter 5 together, what's going to be the application in our family and in our community, with our friends and with our neighbors? Yeah, I, I think you have to bring your brokenness to Jesus. I think you see that. And after Jesus heals you, you have to talk about the healing of Jesus, which I think you see with the demon-possessed man. But I think we're, everybody is suffering and hurting and broken in different ways, and we're always trying to fix ourselves on our own. And I think in chapter 4 and 5, you have— all these different people who they call, they come and they fall before Jesus' feet, and real healing is found in him. That's wonderful. So Bill and Russ, as we look at Mark chapter 4 and we look at Mark chapter 5, there's so many great things here about Christ being the Son of God and the power that he has to radically transform situations. It makes me excited for what comes next. Thank you for joining us today in our study of Mark chapters 4 and 5. Next week, we look to be in Mark chapter 6 and 7. If you seek to, if you want to follow us in the reading plan, you can go to embryhills.com slash podcast. And again, we want to give a special thanks to Russ Legron for being with us today.